Kinks and Beats Daily. I am your host, Tony Fry. This is my third attempt to record this episode, so I hope it goes well. So um, I'm also a little sorry that it's going up late. Um, today is January 21st, and on this day in 1966, George Harrison married his first wife, Patty Boyd, who he had met on the set of A Hard Day's Night. His best man at this wedding was an old chap named Paul McCartney. Now, you've seen Patty Boyd before, if you've seen Hard Day's Night, because um, in the scene on the train pretty early in the movie, when Paul approaches two or three girls sitting at a table on the train, and he's acting shy and uh, aloof, you know, playing wingman for the other Beatles, uh, one of those girls is Patty. And she's the one that says, criminals, or whatever the accent is. Um, that's Patty. She would go on to inspire the song Something by the Beatles, as well as Layla and Wonderful Tonight by Eric Clapton, who she would later marry um, after divorcing George. So this one woman has inspired some of rock's greatest love songs and um, you know, has a lot of stories to tell herself, being uh, a model through the 60s, and being so ingrained in highly public marriages and relationships um, at pivotal points in both of their careers. Kind of an interesting st- legacy she has, um, both as uh, a model and as the wife of these celebrities. So that was on this day in 1966. Today, though, we're talking about Little Miss Queen of Darkness. Released October 28th, 1966 on the Kinks album Face to Face. This album um, was a hit in the UK. Didn't really do anything in America. But it's a solid album. It's sometimes regarded as the first concept album. Although I will uh, I will argue with someone who claims that. It was recorded. The song was recorded on June 21st, 1966 in a session devoted solely to this song. So that's another thing that's kind of remarkable about this album. Face to Face was the first album the Kinks did that was kind of pieced together from sessions over a longer period of time. They didn't devote uh, two weeks worth of sessions to recording this album. It was wherever they could find time. Ray had had some mental health issues. Pete Quaife, the bassist, um, was injured. They're touring. They're doing TV. They've got all this stuff going on and things get delayed. This album gets delayed. Um, and so it's, it's pieced together through various sessions of import to us though, is that this is the first session re- recording session that we can confirm John Dalton on bass. So like I said, Pete's injured. He's not on the road with them. So they hired John Dalton uh, to be the stand in on the road. And he happens to be, you know, with them when they go into the studio to record this tune. So some of Face to Face is definitely Pete Quaife. This one song is definitely John Dalton. And then there are a few other tunes that are kind of mysteries to this day. Uh, Ray claims that they were session musicians on bass. Pete Quaife says, "Eh, it kind of sounds like me. I think we recorded those before I left the band. So we never know. But this is definitely the first time we hear John Dalton. 
Um, Pete says he's not coming back. They hired John Dalton to be his permanent replacement. Pete changes his mind. They fired John Dalton. A couple years later, Pete decides he's going to quit again. They call John. They say, be the member of the band. So in April of 1969, Dalton becomes the official Kinks bass player. So three years after this recording is when he finally becomes the official bass player for the Kinks. And he plays with them through a good chunk of the 70s till the Sleepwalker album uh, was his last album and he's a great bass player this song does not really demonstrate um a ton of creativity or anything but this song also doesn't necessitate a ton of creativity because of the style it's written in this is ray doing kind of his two-step swing um laid-back swing music hall style it's also worth noting this song is recorded on ray's 22nd birthday um, I don't know why that's worth noting, but I noted it anyway. So Dave uh, has on occasion referenced Django Reinhardt as an influence on his guitar playing. And I think you hear it a little bit in here just in the rhythm guitar playing because um, that style of, of jazz that Django was known for kind of has what we call chunk chunk guitar, rhythm guitar. Just very straight ahead. The rhythm guitar doesn't usually swing. It stays on quarter notes. And then every now and then you'll get a. A little swing, but it's not um, emulating the ride cymbal or anything like that. But what you really hear is when these little flourishes in the rhythm guitar slash lead guitar. These little flourishes are where you really hear the influence of the jazz guys. Now, the song is not really anchored in any kind of key. The chord structure on this is more about voice leading than it is about uh, establishing a key. So we start on a G chord, and then we go to an E7. So right there, out of the gate, we are no longer in the key of G. The chord of E7 does not exist in the key of G. Um, and then he goes up a fourth to A7, also not in the key of G. And then he goes up a fourth to D7, which is in the key of G, which is the, the dominant chord in the key of G. So it brings us back to the key of G. Okay? So for all intents and purposes, we are not in any key um, on this song. He, he borrows chords from the second chord. He's borrowing from other keys. And then in the um, the bridge section, he goes from a B7 to an E. So this is the longest um, we're really established in a key. Because he's going five to one, five to one, four, minor four, five, one. That's really the longest stretch in this song that we are establishing a key. But going back to the fills, so um, whoever's playing these parts, I can't tell if it's a lead guitar by Dave or a rhythm guitar by Ray, but we've got this...
you've got this dissonance. He's playing the um, little fills on the second and first string of the guitar. So when he hits that E7, he plays the seventh on the second string, which is only a step away from the root on the first string. which is a dissonant interval, sort of, um, but it's really dissonant when he bends into the note. So he's going. And then on that little bit on the A7, he's hitting the seventh on the top string, then sliding down to the six, and then opening it up to the five. So it's seven, six, five. So it's kind of a cool little pattern. And this is where the hooks are. So you've got the G chord. And then an E7. Then an A7. Then a D7. So you've got these notes that are all, it keeps, all the notes are very close together. There's a lot of chromatic movement. Um, and that's why you use this kind of chord progression. It's not particularly notable or creative. A lot of songs do it. Ray uses this technique a lot. Um, but it is interesting, and, it, and that's where your hooks come from, because you've got all these seventh chords and all this chromatic movement and the uh, cycling of fourths from E to A to D. Uh, back to G, all this movement lends itself to being a hook. Well, I met her accidentally in a little discotheque and she acted oh so friendly in a little fellow she met and her hair was hanging down like a bright and silken sheet Little Miss Queen of Darkness, the only minor chord, dancing night and day. Little Miss Queen of Darkness, dancing, dancing on. Um, if you'll forgive my singing on that one, butchered the lyrics and butchered the melody, but I'm not recording this again. If this doesn't work this time, we're done with it. But that's it. And then he repeats it, and and that's about it. It's in the style that we've come to love. You know, we've talked about alcohol, which is kind of in this style. We talked about holiday romance, which is kind of in this style. Um, it's a style you hear a lot of British bands doing it, but nobody did it more than the Kinks. Um, and it works. You hear uh, Mick Avery on the drums giving a very you know relaxed swing on the drums. Everything about this is as if you're sitting on the back porch looking over the countryside or the beach or something, you know, and just singing and coming up with whatever you come up with. That's Little Miss Queen of Darkness. Um, I'm asking you guys, I mentioned this on yesterday's pod, I want to know if I was to send you on a deserted island you're going, I'm sending you to Mars and you can only have one album by either the Kinks or the Beatles to take with you. This is all you can listen to while you're on this um, distant planet. Which one would it be?
and why. Give me a call, 925-494-1739, and let me know which album is going to be the one that you take with you to Mars as the only music you have to listen to for the duration of your stay there. And let me know why, because I'm interested to know, do you pick um, the album that is regarded as the best? Or do you pick the album that maybe is the most eclectic so you don't get bored? Or do you pick the one that's got your one favorite song on it? You know, how how do you determine which one you're taking? And uh, and and let me know. 925-494-1739. Leave me a voicemail with uh, your pick and why. And you can also talk about um, anything you want. Leave me a voicemail anytime or email me. Kinks and Beats aherohabit.com. And while we're still talking about this, some great reviews coming in from iTunes. And I promise to read reviews and emails on the show. So this one came in over the weekend. Um, and I'm going to read it to you. It's from a, a person named Legoon. So thank you to him or her. I need this podcast more than I needed any other podcast before. Five stars. If I rubbed a genie lamp and was granted a wish to have a podcast created just for me, it would be this one. I've always claimed I was more kinks and beetles than who and stones. More kinks than anything, really. The host, Tony, will always surprise you with the songs he admires most and the ones that leave him unmoved as he deconstructs them. Sitting in my hotel gets his highest praise. Do you remember Walter? Not so much. His point that if Maxwell's Silver Hammer was a Nilsson song, it would be revered is quite astute. Thank you. Uh, as a musician, I love that he breaks down the music theory behind the tunes. I think it's better that we don't hear the songs he's discussing. It makes you want to listen as soon as you can to prove him right or wrong in your mind. I can't wait until he starts doing more full album episodes. The Abbey, Abbey Road one was splendid. My favorite podcast out there by far. First off, we will do um, many more full album episodes. We'll cover every album. And those will typically drop on Saturdays as bonus episodes. Because it's, you know, they're longer. They take me long to record. I have to find somebody to chat with. So those will be more um, sporadic, but we will do them all, uh, including whatever your favorite is. As to proving me right or wrong in your mind, why limit it to your mind? Give me a call, 925-494-1739. Let me know um, why you disagree with something I say or why you totally agree with me. And I may be the first person that you've agreed with about um, uh, Maxwell Silverhammer not being a totally horrible song as many people like to claim. But thank you for that review. Um, if you are listening to this, please leave a five-star rating and review on iTunes. And I'll, I'll read them all, um, not just the five-star ones, but I'd prefer the five stars so that we can start charting higher and getting more listeners. All right, that's enough for me. I hope this actually works and that you hear it and that you enjoy it. And of course, you can go listen to Little Miss Queen of Darkness on our Spotify playlist if you haven't heard it in a while. Find it on Spotify or find it at herohabit.com. All right, I will talk to you guys tomorrow. Thank you for listening and tell all your friends what we're doing here. This podcast is presented by the Hero Habit Podcast Network. Swing by HeroHabit.com today to comment on this episode and poke around our growing database of sports and pop culture news, reviews, and collectibles. HeroHabit.com. Collect your heroes.